I'd like for you to find Genesis chapter 40 in your Bibles tonight. Genesis chapter 40. We want to look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this service. We thank you for so many of your people who are so faithful to come, to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. We thank you for these who see the need so much the more as they see the day approaching, the day of your return. We thank you that they understand that intensified and fiery times require intensified and more, even more intense fellowship with you and with your people. We pray that you would bless us as we study your word together, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This evening, if you will allow me, there is another part to this morning's message that we want to think about uh, and, and connect while it's uh, still fresh on our minds. This morning... In Genesis chapter 40, we saw the innocent Joseph in the place of pain and suffering. We saw him between two men who were guilty and deserved to be in that place, to be in that prison, to be in that place of punishment because they had offended the king of Egypt. And here in this place of judgment... We saw that the butler is saved and the baker was lost. And as we look at this scene in Egypt, as we looked at it this morning, we saw a picture of the cross of Calvary. Because at Calvary, the innocent Son of God was in the place of pain and suffering and judgment. And he was there between two men who were guilty and deserved to be in that place. At Calvary, as was the case in the prison in Egypt, one of the men who was crucified with the Lord Jesus, one of the thieves was saved, and one was lost. Tonight, we want to continue to think about Joseph as a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we've come back to Genesis chapter 40, this evening. And the first thing that we want to consider is that as a result of Joseph being there in the place of judgment, as a result of his being in this place of pain and suffering and death, the butler of the king of Egypt went free. There's the message of the gospel illustrated for us again. Lord Jesus Christ went to the place of judgment, to the place of suffering and death. He went to the cross of Calvary so that you and I could go free. But there's an interesting and a very instructive contrast tonight that I'd like for us to see between this prison in Egypt and the cross. And it centers around one word, the word remember, remember.
Turn over, if you will, to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. And we want to read beginning at verse 39. Luke chapter 23 and verse 39. And one of the male factors which was hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God? seeing thou art in the same condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. Here in verse 41, or, or verse 40 and 41, one of the male factors, one of the thieves, acknowledges his sin. And he takes his place as a sinner, a sinner who's worthy of death. And in verse 42, he prays and asks the Lord to save him. He said unto Jesus in verse 42, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Notice those words. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Those words are a sinner's prayer. And I would emphasize the word a, a sinner's prayer, to remind us that this is not the sinner's prayer because there is no such thing as the sinner's prayer. We live in a day of process Christianity. At the end of meetings in so many churches, an invitation is given. People are encouraged to raise their hands to acknowledge their need for salvation. And then they're encouraged and sometimes even pressured and coerced. I've seen that. Pressure. They're coerced to come down to the front. And once they're there... They're told to repeat after the preacher or evangelist, repeat the sinner's prayer. That is a prayer that is so popular, you can Google it, and it will come right up. And people are told to repeat this prayer, and upon completion of repeating it, the preacher or the evangelist pronounces them saved. That is process evangelism. It is, as someone has said, something invented by 20th century preachers as a quick and easy way to save people. Unfortunately, it's a false doctrine. But sad to say, it's the standard in many, many Bible-believing churches today. That's not the kind of evangelism that we find here in the Bible. Hold your place here and turn back to Exodus chapter 20 for just a minute. Exodus chapter 20. 
Exodus chapter 20 and look at verse 25. And if thou wilt make me an altar of stone, thou shalt not build it of hewn stone. For if thou lift up thy tool upon it, thou hast polluted it. Neither shalt thou go up by steps unto mine altar, that thy nakedness be not discovered thereon. God says in verse 25, if you're going to build me an altar, then I want you to build it out of stones that I have made, just like they are. Because if you take what I have made and you put your tool upon it, and you take it and you hew it and you shape it to suit you, then all that you will do is build a polluted altar. God has provided the stones for the altar of salvation. Brother Jed was preaching about one of those stones in his last message from the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 2 and verse 9 says, Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. He provides the stones for the altar of salvation. Stones like John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. A stone like John 5, 24, where the Lord Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. A stone like Acts 16, 31, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Those are the stones of God's altar of salvation. And in those three verses, we find one common word. It's the word believe. Believe. Belief takes place in the heart. Man looketh on the outward appearance. We read in 1 Samuel 16 and verse 7. But the Lord looketh on the heart. For with the heart... Paul writes in Romans 10 and verse 10, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, the heart in the spirit. And not in the letter. Paul wrote that in Romans chapter 2. Verses 28 and 29. The call from the heart of a sinner upon the Lord for salvation. Is not according to some prescribed set of words. It's not to make a fair show in the flesh. That promotes the, the personality or, of, of the preacher or the evangelist. It's a cry from the heart of a sinner that's heard by the heart of God. 
The cry of Peter's heart was, depart from me, for my, I am a sinful man, O Lord. The cry of the publican's heart was, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The cry of the heart of the father with the sick child to the Lord Jesus was, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. The cry of the heart of the Ethiopian eunuch to the Lord was, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The call of Saul of Tarsus upon the Lord Jesus was, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And in the verse that we read in Luke 23, the call of the thief on the cross to the Lord was, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And God doesn't dictate or prescribe the words that man is to use to call upon him because he's not looking for a set of prescribed words. He's looking for a repentant heart. And the words of a repentant heart are as varied as these that we've just mentioned. Six different sinners with six different sinners' prayers, if you will. And every one of them was acceptable to God because they came from a broken and a contrite heart. And a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. When we take the stones that God has provided here in his word, we mentioned just three. There's others, many others. And we build an altar with the stones as they are in this book. Then God will bring people to his altar. Not our altar. His altar. He'll bring people not to a man at the front of a church. He'll bring people to himself. God will give the increase. And the increase is not going to be hundreds or thousands of people getting saved. It's going to be few. Few. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few, the Lord Jesus said, few there be that find it. But few is not a popular word. Man wants to see many. Man wants to see results, big results, numbers. And so what's happened to evangelism in America is that preachers and evangelists and ministries have done what we read in verse 26. They built steps to God's altar of salvation. Bow your head, close your eyes, raise your hand, come down to the altar. Repeat this prayer. And you're saved. That's evangelism in this country. And it's been incredibly successful. If you are measuring success by numbers. If you're measuring success as the world measures success. But it's the kind of success that the Lord Jesus warned about. In Matthew 23 and verse 15. He said there, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte. What's a proselyte? Well, it's one that converts from a Gentile religion to Judaism. 
And the Lord Jesus said, when he is made, ye make him twofold more the child of hell. Because he's not only lost, still lost, but now he has this religious veneer that he's coated with. Now he has this false profession to cover his sin and rebellion. Now he can live his lost life in a religious context because he has, he's had this outward experience without any change of heart. That's what passes for evangelism in so many places in America. Compass county and community with programs of all sorts to make proselytes, to make church members. And so many, many times, they're just people who are made twofold more the child of hell. But look again at what God says in verse 26. Neither shalt thou go up by steps unto mine altar, that thy nakedness be not discovered thereon. Notice that word nakedness. Those who are saved are pictured here in the word of God as clothed. Clothed. Nakedness in in the Bible is a picture of those who are without Christ. We trust him as our savior. He clothes us in his righteousness. When Adam and Eve trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as their savior, God clothed them in coats of skin. In the New Testament, we read about the Gadarene man, which had devils. And Luke tells us that he wore no clothes. This man was naked. But when he met Jesus, and you remember the people of Gadara came out to see what was done. The the devils had gone into the swine, and the swine had rushed into the sea. Luke tells us that they came to Jesus and found the man out of whom the devils were departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed, clothed, and in his right mind. Being clothed is a picture of salvation. And here we're reading about people who come by steps to God's altar and their nakedness is discovered. I believe that's the condition of many, many, many Christians in this country. They're the product of an evangelical process. And at the end of the process, they're declared to be Christians and they view themselves as Christians. But how they feel about themselves and how they view themselves means nothing. The only thing that matters is how God views them, how God sees them. And God tells us how he views the church of the Laodiceans, the church of the last days, the church of our day. He sees the professing Christianity of our day. He sees those who have made a commitment to Christ and yet continue to walk according to the course of this world. No change in the life. He sees them as wretched and miserable and poor and blind and Naked, naked. They're unchanged by the steps that they've taken to his altar. 
And it's like that because salvation is not going through a series of man-made steps and repeating words of a well-known popular prayer. Salvation is when we take God's side against ourselves. And we acknowledge our sin against a holy God. And we confess that what we deserve is death. Death. And with a broken and a contrite heart, we repent of our sin and we cry to the Lord, not with some set of prescribed words, but with the words that the Spirit of God draws from our hearts as we call upon the name of the Lord. That's what the thief on the cross did. Let's go back to Luke chapter 23, if you will. Luke chapter 23 and verse 40. This thief says, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And when that happens in the life of a man or a woman or a young person, there's a change in direction in the life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 is still in the book. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. We've gone down this rabbit trail, but I believe it's an important one. I believe it's one that we ought to go down from time to time when we read the words of this thief here. Our minds ought to be thinking about these things. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. But the reason that we've come here is to, to see a contrast and to, to think about this word, remember. Remember. Here in Luke 23, in this place of judgment and death, this thief acknowledges his sin. He acknowledges his worthiness of death. And he says to the Lord Jesus, Lord, remember me. And the Lord tells him, I will remember you. Jesus said unto him, verse 43, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Him that cometh to me, the Lord Jesus said, I will in no wise cast out. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, remember me. And the Lord Jesus does remember this thief that day. That day. Salvation. It's so easy for us to think that salvation is somewhere off in the future. It's today. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Today. Shalt thou be with me in paradise? This thief says, Lord, remember me. And the Lord remembers him. Now with that in mind, I want us to go back to, to 
Genesis chapter 40. Genesis chapter 40. And verse 12. And Joseph said unto him, the butler, he's told Joseph his dream. This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days, yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thine head and restore thee unto thy place, and thou shalt deliver Pharaoh's cup into his hand after the former manner when thou wast his butler. The butler's told his dream to Joseph, and Joseph gives him the interpretation of it. And then Joseph says something in verse 14. But think on me when it shall be well with thee. And show kindness, I pray thee, unto me. And make mention of me unto Pharaoh. And bring me out of this house. Notice the first four words of verse 14. Joseph says, but think on me. The word think, if you look it up there, it's word number 2142. It means remember. Remember. Here in the prison, in the place of judgment and death, Joseph says to the butler, he says to this man who is being freed from this place of condemnation and judgment, think on me, remember me, when it shall be well with thee. And this is the instructive contrast that we want to see. At Calvary, in that place of judgment and death, it's the thief who says to the Lord, remember me. Here it is Joseph who says to the butler, the one who is going free, remember me. There's a critical message in that. You and I are pictured in that thief. And when we come to the Lord Jesus and we take our place as a sinner, and we cry to God in repentance and faith, Lord, remember me. He saves us. But then the Lord Jesus, who, as we've been talking about this morning and again tonight, the Lord Jesus, who we see pictured in Joseph, says to us, as Joseph said to this butler, but think on me when it shall be well with thee. He says, remember me when it shall be well with thee. If we're saved this evening, it is well with us. How much more well can it be than having been delivered from so great a death? How much more well can it be from having passed from death unto life, from having now no condemnation? Because we're in Christ Jesus. If we're saved tonight, it is well with our soul. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole. Is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. If we're saved tonight, it's well with us. We're just like this thief. We're just like this butler. We've been freed 
from the prison house of sin. We've been freed from the place of condemnation and judgment. And the Lord Jesus makes this very simple request. Think on me when it shall be well with thee. Remember me when it shall be well with thee. And show kindness, I pray thee, unto me. And how do we do that? How are we going to show kindness to this one who's delivered us from the place of sin and death? Notice the next words in verse 14. And make mention of me. If we're saved tonight, is that not our reasonable service? Make mention of me. Is the Lord not worthy of our reasonable service? It's well with us today if we're saved because on the cross of Calvary, it was not well with the Lord Jesus. He took our sin and our judgment and our condemnation and he, in exchange for our life that is a life of death. He has given us his life. Can we not think on him? For the love of Christ constraineth us. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. That's what it means to think on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means to remember him when it's well with us. But very quickly, look at verse 20 here. And it came to pass the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast unto all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants, and he restored the chief butler unto his butlership again. And he gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Now notice verse 23. Yet did not the chief butler remember... That's our word, the same word that's translated think in verse 14. Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forget him. Christian, have we ever lived that way? Have we ever lived that way? Have there been times in our Christian life when we could put our name in verse 23? Instead of, yet did not the butler Yet did not Charles, we can put our name there, remember Jesus, but forget him. The chief butler lived that way for two full years, two full years. But the Lord's not going to let us forget him if we really know him. He's going to bring us into circumstances where we will remember him. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 6 says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. The circumstances, the chastening, if you will, 
that the Lord brought into the life of the chief butler was Pharaoh's dream that troubled Pharaoh that no one could interpret. There was an old saying in Egypt, you may have heard it, if Pharaoh ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Pharaoh was not happy. And when the, there was no one that could, could uh, interpret his dream. And, and this man has absolute power. He just is apt to say, all right, you take all these magicians, you take all these soothsayers, you take all these fortune tellers, and you execute them. Could have very well happened. Look at chapter 41 and verse 9. Then spake the chief butler unto Pharaoh, saying, I do remember my faults this day. I do remember my faults this day. In that moment, the chief butler remembered where he'd been. He remembered where he was when he met Joseph in the place of death, in prison. He remembered the one who had delivered him, given him the message of deliverance from the place of death. I do remember my faults this day. That's our word again, by the way, remember. And here the Lord is doing exactly what the hymn writer said. He's rolling back the curtain of memory. And he's showing the butler where he brought him from. And where he might have been. And in the face of that, the butler says, I do remember my faults this day. It's very similar to 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we know the Lord tonight, have we forgotten him? Very easy to do. That's why it's so important to be in church. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Because we remember him. He's brought before our minds. That's why it's important to meet with him every day. Before our day begins. Have we forgotten the Lord? Maybe if we have, he's brought us here tonight to roll back the curtain of memory. To remind us where we were when the Lord Jesus found us. Reminding us of the one who delivered us from the place of sin and death at the cost of his own life. If he is, then forgiveness and restoration are as simple as those words in verse 9. I do remember my faults. This day. The butler remembered. Those words are so important. Because the test of whether you have just been through a process. The test of whether you're just merely a professor of salvation. Or a possessor of salvation. The test of whether you have merely committed your life to Christ. Or surrendered your life to Christ. Is whether you think on him. It's whether you remember him. 
folks, if not remembering the Lord is the pattern of your life, if that's the pattern of your life, if that's the way you live day after day, if sin is the pattern of your life, you're not backslidden. You're not someone who's out of fellowship with the Lord. You're someone that's not saved. The Spirit of God is showing you that tonight. If he's showing you that that's your condition, then right now you need to humble your heart like the thief on the cross and acknowledge your sin. Acknowledge what you are and what you deserve and repent and cry from your heart to the Lord. From your heart, with the words that the Spirit of God will give you. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for letting us gather again tonight around this portion of Scripture. And to see the importance of this word, remember, remember. Lord, remember me. That's how the thief got saved. And then that word, your desire for us, your request to us. But think on me. Remember me when it shall be well with thee. And make mention of me. Give me your reasonable service. We pray that we might be willing to do that tonight. And if there's someone here who's never trusted you as their Savior, if they cannot, if there's not a day of remembrance in their life, there's not a day of remembrance. We pray that this would be that day when they would cry out to you to be saved. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.